sacrament. If you'd like to follow along this morning, I'll be reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed. Again, he said, What shall we say to the kingdom of God is like? Or what parables shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed planted in the garden of ground. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Good morning. How do you ascertain the value of something? You know, when you look at something, you're trying to figure out what it's worth, and you're not quite sure how to value it. How do you figure out the value? Jesus was trying to explain how heaven was valuable to his disciples. He did this on numerous occasions, but in chapter 13 of Matthew, he was talking to them, and he's trying to help them understand something that is otherworldly. You know, we're here, we're experiencing what we experience, we're seeing life the way we see it. Then he's trying to tell them what the kingdom of heaven is like, you know? And how would you describe that to somebody? This is like when we try to describe concepts that are difficult for us to understand, and we're sitting there and we're talking to our kids or our grandkids or youth group, whatever it may be, and trying to explain to them something of value about God. And so, when I looked at this passage here, Jesus, this is the way He said it to His disciples, and He tells these little stories, you know, we call them parables. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, He went and sold all that He had and bought it. You know, this is a pretty valuable pearl, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was thinking about a story that I heard one time about this guy. I think he was working for some government organization and uh, somewhere around Washington D.C. and and everybody. This was you know around 30 years ago or so, and so everybody had little computer monitors on their on their desk, and these were the monitors that had like a black screen with kind of green look to it with a you know the blinking icon on it. And they had this really uh, special meeting one day where they called everybody into the meeting and they said, we've got this revolutionary idea that's going to change everything here at work. We have, we've been able to install a system here with our computers so that when you guys need to communicate with each other, you don't even have to get up. You can punch a couple keys and then you can write your message and then hit the enter button and it will send the message to the next person. And this, this one guy who heard this, he was sitting there thinking, you know, my desk is right there, Tom's desk is right there, Bill's is right there. You know, usually if I need to talk to him, I'll just look at him and I'll say, Bill, hey. You know, and so he, he was like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And then he, he said, you know, he thought it was so dumb, he quit. He quit his job. This was the introduction of the internet. You know, and he, he was missing out on this, and he thought it was just a crazy idea. It was stupid. Nobody would need that. Also reminds me of something my dad told me. A few years ago, my dad decided he wanted to get into selling shoes. And so he opened up a little place in Florence and was going to sell shoes. And so he went to this convention where you 
where you meet with a lot of distributors of shoes and they'll give you the rights to sell their shoes or their products. And so he went and he really wanted to be in the Reebok business. He really wanted you know, to connect with them and Converse and Brooks and several other companies. But he said the lines were just out the door and forever long and you could barely get any FaceTime with them. It was expensive. And then there was this one guy over to the side who had a little booth and nobody even had heard of his shoes and nobody cared about them. And, uh, but nobody was in line, so he went over to this guy and he, he started talking to him and he bought the rights to sell this particular brand, this no-name brand. Basically, he was going to have the rights to sell this shoe, uh, everything north of Birmingham to the, on the, in the nor- northern part of the state of Alabama. He had the rights to sell the shoes there. And so he tried this for a year or two and it just never really had any traction. So finally he, he sold his company uh, small business and he sold the rights to somebody else and he got out of it. And I guess it was about three years later after that that Michael Jordan really began to make a big impression on the world and the shoe that he was wearing, Nike, you know, started to catch, you see what I'm saying here? Value. How do you ascertain value? You look at something and you don't know what it's worth. You see the internet, some people think, revolutionary. Some people think, idea that's so bad I'm quitting my job. We have, this business has gone to pots. Or a shoe company. How do you decide whether or not it has any value? How do you determine if something is priceless? You know? And not only that, when you know you've got something that's priceless, how do you share that with people so that they'll understand it? So that they'll get the concept, it'll be meaningful to them, You know, that's why I love this stuff up here. We're trying to share a concept about something that has value. It has so much value, we're really trying to impress this upon people, children, to help them understand this is where it's at. This will make the difference in your life. And how do you teach that? Well, there's another parable that I really like in Mark chapter 4, and I want to take just a minute to look at it. I oh, mean, I wish we just had hours. I wish we had hours, but I, you probably don't. <laughs> so we'll just take a few minutes. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 32. And I'll just go ahead and jump right into it. Once again, Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. He's trying to d- explain what it's like to be part of God's kingdom. What it's like to be connected with God and what it's going to do in your life if you are. He also said the kingdom of God is is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. You know, I'm sitting there thinking about you know my little garden I've got in my backyard that I put in and Every year without fail, I am amazed when I get to pick the first tomato. I mean, what, what, what happens to you? I put in, you know, a dozen different vines in the ground and I, you know, get them all set up. Well, sure enough, one of them dies within like three days. And I'm sitting there, you know, racking my brain and I'm talking to people. What did I do? What did I do? What do I do? You know, you know and, but then, then, you know, everything else keeps coming along. 
and the tomatoes start coming, and you're just like, where, how did that happen? Where did that come from? You know, I'll put something in the ground about that tall, and if you put it in from seed, you know, where did, where did this big vine come from? You know? And that's how the kingdom of God, that's the way it works, you know? Keep reading verse 30. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. You know, I like this passage for several reasons because it's talking about these ideas, once again, where you have something that's so small, just like a little mustard seed, you know. Go into your kitchen cabinet, and that's probably where most of us are going to have mustard seeds, you know. And pull some out and look at them and take a look at that, and then it's going to grow up and become something so great. You know, one of the fascinating little details that oftentimes we overlook in this passage here that probably ought to be talked about more because more and more people are getting access to information tools where they can look into these things. The mustard seed is not the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Did you know that? There are seeds that are actually smaller. Now, just now hold on, hold on. Just before you think that I'm making an accusation that Jesus doesn't have his facts straight, you need to understand the parable. And we're going to jump into that. So what does he mean when he's talking about it being the smallest of all the seeds? He's trying to impress upon you initially... Right now, I want you to understand, He's trying to impress upon you how small this seed is. Now, once again, there's all kinds of ways people have talked about this. Well, maybe this was the regional smallest seed. Maybe this was the smallest seed that they had access into that region. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe there's something else going on here in the context of Mark that maybe we can unravel as we keep reading this. And so I'm going through this parable... And we start with this mustard seed that's so small. And then it's sown in the ground. And then what happens to it? It becomes what? It becomes the greatest. It becomes the greatest of all the shrubs. And puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, did you catch it? Did you catch it? No, you probably didn't, because I didn't catch it either. And then I looked at it again, and then I looked at it again. Catch what? Well, look at the details. Let me tell you a little story, and let me see if you can catch the problem with the story I'm about to tell you. The kingdom of heaven is like a tomato seed, smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And when it is placed to the ground... It grows up into the greatest of all the... Bro, uh, the bro, I can't even say it. Anybody want to help me here? Shrubs. The greatest of all the shrubs. If you look at Matthew, Matthew says trees. Okay, are you with me? I said tomato seed. And it's so great that it makes these branches that the birds can rest in its branches. Now, did you catch it? Is that what happens to tomato seeds? They grow into what? They don't grow into shrubs. They don't grow into trees. They grow into what? Vines. We know this. Because we plant tomato vines. That's why we know it. So please tell me, is nobody in here a mustard tree gardener? You know, I met a guy who raises turtles. 
two weeks ago. The first time I've ever met a guy who raises turtles. Okay? Nobody in here raises mustard trees. That's why we didn't catch the detail. How tall does a mustard tree get in the Middle East? Well, when it's at its tallest, it's about as maybe maybe about this high from where you're sitting. 10, 15 feet, maybe 20 feet. It's not very tall. You know, and it's not, uh, it's not substantial. It's not a substantial tree. See, now some of the details are starting to make a little more sense, isn't it? We're talking about extremes, aren't we? And the other thing about this, do you think Jesus doesn't know that it's not a tree? Of course He knows that. He's quoting from Scripture when He's told this story. I want you to look with me. There's two places we could go. We could go to Daniel chapter 9, or we could go to Ezekiel chapter 17. And that's the one I want you to look at with me, is Ezekiel chapter 17. In Ezekiel, and it's the same with Daniel, very similar, there's these images from the ancient Near East. You know, we're talking about, you know, places, uh, you know, like where Iraq is today. But, you know, Palestine. This image of a tree that was very substantial to people. And one of the reasons the image of a tree was so substantial in the Middle East is if you've spent some time in the Middle East, there's a scarcity of big trees. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but by and large, there are not a lot of places there that can grow giant cedars except for places, for instance, like Lebanon. And so, trees are these images and they're these icons of might and strength and fortitude and security and oasis and care. And Ezekiel, when he's telling this, listen to what he says. He says, "...the Lord God, I myself, will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out." I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live in the shade of its branches will nest. Winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree, I make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, I will accomplish it. Now, do you see that image of what God is like and His kingdom is like and what it's like to be one of His children? We're like one of the birds who get to take refuge in the branches of God's mighty tree. And you see, when Jesus was standing there with His disciples... It's very brief and it's very fleeting, but he's alluding to these images that we're seeing here in Ezekiel about these branches. There's something that Mark is trying to express to us that is a difficult concept for us to understand. What you see happening to this mustard seed is beyond measure. It is beyond nature. It is supernatural. Why? Because it is God's involvement in something that otherwise would never be that substantial. It's becoming greater than it could have ever been. You see what I'm saying? 
And if he were to tell a story about a tomato vine, we would have caught this. We would have seen that he's talking about something going from smallest to greatest and greater than anything that we've ever seen or experienced. Why? What in the world are we going to compare the kingdom of God to? I mean, that's how he starts this. What are we going to compare it to? What is it like? Can I think of anything at all that will help you understand how amazing the kingdom of God is? Well, let's take a mustard seed. Maybe this will help you understand because you understand mustard trees and seeds. Maybe you'll get this. And he tells the story to try to impress this upon them. Let me wrap this up with a story here and try to tie this together for you. I had a teacher who, when he finished up his undergraduate work, he went off to New England school, to college, and he was going to be there for two years doing a master's degree. And he and his wife, Larry and Diane, those were their names, they were in school together and they had free time in between classes and then go play tennis or do something like that together. And one, one day they were out playing tennis between classes and... And just hitting back and forth, and Larry said he hit the ball and just shot right over the top of the of the encasing around the tennis courts. And well, he had to go get it, and it went off down a hill into the woods. And so he went out of the tennis courts and went down to find that tennis ball. And he was looking around for it, and he didn't find the tennis ball, but he did find something else that caught his eye. There was a young boy there who was passed out, laying in the woods, didn't look good. And he called Diane and said, Diane, there's somebody down here who needs some help. She ran down. They picked him up, carried him to their car. He was still alive. Put him, put him in the back seat of the car, drove him to the uh, hospital, got him some care. And then they waited. You know, they thought, well, do we just leave or, or what? We don't even know who this is. So they waited around until he woke up and it turns out that he had tried to take his life. So they talked to him and tried to find out what was going on in his life that would lead him to do this. And were trying to offer some assistance to him and did the best they could and tried to help him get on his feet, you know, afterwards. And basically, when they got done with this whole situation, they felt like they had helped somebody. And they liked it. it felt good and they wanted to help other people. It made them realize there were a lot of people around town, similar situation to this young man who needed their help. So they started a soup kitchen with a group of other people and they, and they started taking in more people and, and feeding them and trying to care for them and get involved in their lives. And this went on and on and it grew and became more and more popular and more people got involved and donated their time. And this went on for two years. Finally, at the end of two years, they were going to graduate and it was time to leave. And they were going to pass on this whole ministry project that they had gotten started on to somebody else. By this time, it had become pretty substantial. They were worried about passing it on and worried about how it would go and who would take it over. And So finally, they decided they picked some people and talked to them and these people decided they were willing to do it. And so they all got together and decided to have a little celebration to celebrate their graduation and at the same time, celebrate the passing on of this soup kitchen and this ministry. So they were all there at the house. And Larry said he went outside with a couple of the guys to look through a telescope that they had. It was a really good telescope, and they had it trained on one of the planets. So they were just talking, and he said, All right, if you look right here and don't touch anything, you can see the planet very well, you know, right now. So Larry took a look at it, and 
was amazed, of course, was impressed. And, and then they just kept talking and chit-chatting for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And they were getting a little bit cold and decided to go back inside. And Larry said, well, I'm going to look one more time. I want to see that planet one more time before we go inside. And he, he looked in the telescope and there was no planet there. And he, and he tapped his friend and said, hey, hey, hold on just a second. We must have bumped the telescope because the, you can't see the planet anymore. And his friend said to him, no, Larry, he just kind of laughed. He said, the telescope, nobody touched it, it's fine. Larry said, no, no, I can't see the planet, it's gone. And his friend said, I know you can't. The earth has shifted. We have shifted. We'll have to readjust the telescope because we are turning. And as Larry thought about that for a minute, it seems so obvious, but at the same time, what a detail that's constantly overlooked. We come in and out in our days, we go to church, we go home, we go out to eat lunch, we do VBS, we deal with the situations day in, day out, and the earth continues to shift. In about a week from now, I will be able to walk into my backyard and I will pick my first tomato. In spite of what I think about it, in spite of what I do, God continues to work and grow His kingdom. And God wants to be growing with you as a part of it. He wants you to be in His business you see, that's how God works. It's priceless. It's a jewel. It's a pearl. It's like a mustard seed that grows exponentially. And that's what God wants to do with your life. You can't underestimate how valuable putting God in your life can be. It cannot be placed with a price. If you're not a Christian... I hope you're listening to me. I hope you're understanding that God makes the difference. And what we see here today is just the beginning. What you see here in our midst today is just a shadow of what is to come when we start talking about God. If you're already a Christian, you have the chance to be able to let your sins be known to this fellowship here. I pray with you. pray for you. And God will bless your life too. But if you need to respond in any way, please do so now while we stand and sing.